0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So in today's episode, I'm going to give a breakdown of what happened in the Red Sox-Braves game from last night. The Red Sox ended up winning that game. I'll give a recap of that, talk about the Red Sox and where they currently stand. I'll give a whole breakdown of what Tristan Casas has been hitting in terms of the rest of the major leagues over the last month or two. Then I'll review some of Hayan Bloom's biggest moves as the chief baseball officer for the Red Sox. After that, I'll move on to talking about the Angels and some big news coming out about the show. Hey, how tiny trade room is. And then at the end, I'll talk about the Dodgers and a recent trade they just made yesterday before closing out the episode talking about the downfall of the Chicago White Sox, a team that's going to be a major seller at the deadline. So let's start off with the Red Sox. They sweep the Atlanta Braves in this two-game series. They improved to 3-1 and on the year against the Braves. Winning game two of their two game series last night, five to three. The Red Sox now eight games above 500, which is the season best. The Sox trailed three nothing after a three run home run from Aussie Albies in the sixth inning. The Sox responded though that Rafael Devis' home run, his 25th of the season, was a solo shot in the bottom of the sixth inning. Tristan Casas, in the bottom of the seventh, hit his 15th home run of the season, once again another solo shot. Then Justin Turner had a two run double to score Yu Chang and Connor Wong to make the Red Sox take the lead at 4-3 as the score. The Red Sox are up 4-3 going into the bottom of the eighth. They scored, as I said, three runs there in the bottom of the seventh. Then going to the bottom of the eighth, the Red Sox are up 4-3. And Adam Duvall hit his eighth home run of the season, giving the Red Sox a 5-3 lead. That was it for offense the rest of the game. Kenny Jansen came into the game and closed the door, got the save, did give up a hit, and had a strikeout in the one inning he pitched, getting the save For the Red Sox, Brian Bayo started the game for the Sox on the mound. Went six innings, giving up four hits, three earned runs, four strikeouts, and two walks. Good to see him get back on track after a rough outing during the day last week against the Oakland Athletics. Spencer Strider started for the Atlanta Braves. Strider's been one of the best pitchers in the game of baseball this year. He's one of my picks to win the NL Cy Young uh, when I did my mid-season predictions a couple weeks ago now, he had his third outing in a row where he hit double-digit strikeouts, was hit around a little bit by the Sox though, six and in third innings, giving up six hits, three runs, two earned with 10 strikeouts. He gave up two hits and also had one walk. Tristan Casas remains hot at the plate, is now at .253 for batting average on the season with a .360 on base percentage, which is third best on the Red Sox behind Masataki Ishida and Jaron Duran. Also, Casas owns an 837 OPS on the year, which is impressive. He went 2-for-2 two two in last night's game with a home run and two walks, was 4-for-4 four four on base. The Red Sox are now 18-12 in their last 30 games, which is tied for 5th best in the game of baseball over that stretch. They have 15-5 in the last 20 games, which is the best in the MLB over that stretch. And they have 6-4 and four in the last 10 games, which is tied for 4th best in the major leagues over the last 10 games played. The Red Sox with the City Connect jerseys in both games against the Braves and now are 6-0 on the year wearing the yellow City Connect jerseys. They are 21-4 overall when wearing the City Connect jerseys over the last couple of years, so they should keep wearing that jersey. It's obviously brought the Red Sox some luck. Maybe make it the permanent home jersey at this point just so the Red Sox can stay on a high note and continue this hot stretch here. feels like a statement win. Every single time the Red Sox decide to wear yellow, and obviously it's brought some luck to them. 6-0 and on the year, 21-4 overall over the last few seasons wearing the City Connect jerseys. That's a great thing, obviously, to see the Red Sox continue their dominance wearing those. One player I want to point out in particular for the Red Sox over this hot stretch is Tristan Casas. I've already talked about him in a few podcast episodes over the last week or two about how hot he's been at the plate, but I want to give you some numbers to show you where he actually compares, though, in comparison to the rest of the major leagues over the last month or two. In the month of July, Tristan Casas has a 476 on base percentage, which is the second best in the major leagues. A 476 on base percentage in July, which is the second best in the game of baseball. He has a 1284 OPS in the month of July, which is best in the game of baseball. And then an 808 slugging percentage, which once again is the best in the game of baseball. So in the month of July, he's a second best on base percentage and the best OPS and best slugging percentage in the game of baseball, which is very impressive. Since the all-star break, he has 15 of 32 at the plate with six home runs, 11 runs batted in, a 1094 slugging percentage, and a 575 on base percentage. Overall in the season, he has an 836 OPS, which is 30th in the MLB among hitters with 300 plus plate appearances. So it's pretty impressive. He's 30th in the major leagues in OPS among batters with 300 plus plate appearances on the year. Since May 3rd, Tristan Casas among hitters with 230-plus plate appearances, has the 10th best OPS in the game of baseball at 943. Since May 3rd, Tristan Casas has a 943 OPS, which is the 10th best in the game of baseball among batters with 230-plus plate appearances since May 3rd. So that's impressive on its own. He only trails Shohei Ohtani, Corey Sega, Freddie Freeman, Nolan Arenado, Juan Soto, Luis Robert, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Christian Yelich. Those are the only guys that are ahead of him in OPS since May 3rd among batters with 230-plus plate appearances. And if you look at it, he's looked really good over the last couple months. And there's a lot of big names that just named there. Shohei Otani, Freddie Freeman, Corey Seager, Juan Soto, Nolan Arenado, Ronald Acuna Jr. Tristan Casas has been playing up to the same level as these guys in OPS since the start of May, which is very impressive, which is very impressive. Along with the OPS being great, his slugging percentage since May 3rd is 13th best in the major leagues. At a 552 slugging percentage since May 3rd, which is, as I said, 13th best among hitters with 230 plus plate appearances since May 3rd. He has a 391 a base percentage since May 3rd, which is 10th best in the game of baseball, and a 300 batting average since May 3rd, which is 16th best in the game of baseball. Now, one more split I want to talk about. Since June 1st, Tristan Casas has a 603 slugging percentage, which is 7th best among batters in the major leagues. With 150 plus plate appearances since June 1st. A 603 slugging percentage, which is seventh best among batters with 150 plus plate appearances since June 1st. That's very impressive. He's a 1018 OPS since June 1st, which is the fifth best in the game of baseball since June 1st. He only trails Shohei Otani, Corey Seager, Kyle Tucker, and Mookie Betts, over that stretch since June 1st in OPS, which is obviously great. Then if you look at it, he also has a 4.15 on base percentage, which is fourth best in the major leagues since June 1st. A 4.15 on base percentage since June 1st, which is fourth best in the major leagues over that stretch. He also has a 14.5% walk percentage, which is 10th best in the major leagues over that stretch since June 1st as well. And since June 1st, Tristan Casas actually has the fifth best weighted runs created plus in the major leagues. Trailing only Shohei Otani, Corey Seager, Justin Tucker, and Chaz McCormick over that stretch since June 1st. He has a 175 weighted runs created plus, which is very impressive. And per MOB.com, the definition of weighted runs created plus is that it takes the statistic of runs created and adjusts the number to account for important external factors like ballpark or or era that the player is playing in. It's adjusted, so a weighted runs created plus of 100 is the league average, and 150 would be 50% above the league average right now. Tristan Casas is 75% above the league average in weighted runs created plus since June 1st, trailing only four players in the game of baseball. He's fifth, as I said, trailing only Otani, Seager, Tucker, and Chaz McCormick. Fifth best at a 175 total there for weighted runs created plus since June 1st. His weighted on base average since June 1st is fourth best in the major leagues behind Shohei Otani, Corey Seager, and Kyle Tucker. He has a 431 weighted on base percentage since June 1st. Weighted on base percentage, and once again, another definition here from MLB.com. And the reason I'm using these definitions from MLB.com is because it's very easy. They really get to the point and don't leave anything out. They make it very easy for you to follow. And weighted on base percentage, according to MLB.com, is a version of on base percentage that accounts for how a player reached base. Instead of simply considering whether a player reached base or not, it takes into account how a player reached base. And the value for each method of reaching base is determined by how much that event is worth in relation to a projected run scored. So an example, a double is worth double the points than a single would be. And unlike on base percentage and OPS, which is on base percentage plus slugging percentage, weighted on base average assigns a value to each method of reaching base in terms of its impact on scoring runs. So, right now, Tristan Casas since June 1st has a 431 weighted on base average, which is the fourth best in the game of baseball above everybody in the game but Shoei Otani, Corey Sega, and Kyle Tucker since June 1st. Very impressive, and it really is ridiculous. When you really take a deep dive into the stats of how well Tristan Costa has played over the last month or two, I knew he was playing very well, and he's one of the better hitters in the game of baseball over the last couple of months, just watching the Red Sox every night. You could tell he was improving night in and night out at the plate. Each plate appearance was better than the last always. And one thing I've noticed now when I took a deep dive into the stats— is that he really has been one of the hottest hitters in the game of baseball over the last two months. Watching Red Sox games, you know he's very hot and you can see him relative to the rest of the players on the Red Sox. But now when I look at the stats of where he compares to the rest of the players in the major leagues, it's actually ridiculous how close he is to some of the best players in the game of baseball and how close he is to the top over the last couple months in slugging percentage, OPS, batting average on base percentage, weighted runs created plus, and weighted on base average. Very impressive stretch here for Tristan Casas, and I'm very happy to see him really turn things around. It's been ridiculous how great and how much he's developed over the last couple months for the Red Sox at the plate. Obviously, this was a project when he first came up last season, and it seems like he really has put things together for the Red Sox since being called up last year, and obviously started this season very cold, but has gotten better each and every month and has been one of the biggest bright spots on the Red Sox team this year. So now this leads me into my last segment about the Red Sox, and that is talking about Chaim Bloom and his tenure as the Red Sox Chief Baseball Officer over the last few seasons. He got the job in October of 2019, so now this is his fourth season with the Red Sox as a Chief Baseball Officer. So I'm going to look back at his time as a Red Sox Chief Baseball Officer give you a breakdown of all his biggest moves, some of his good moves, some of his bad moves, and then give you my thoughts about Chaim Bloom and where I think he stands in the future with the Boston Red Sox. So let's start off with Haim Bloom and why I think he deserves credit. Bloom was a guy that everybody loved to go on air, live on air on Boston Sports Radio, and bash. Everybody loved to get on air, whether it was a call-in or as a host of a show, whether it was 98.5 at WEEI, everybody loved to bash High and Bloom for the poor job that everybody thought he was doing with this Red Sox team. But the reality of the situation right now is that this team that he's put together on this Red Sox roster right now is capable of making a run, in my opinion. And they're doing it without Chris Sale, without Tana Houck, without Garrett Whitlock, without Trevor Story. Two of the best players on the team, talent-wise, Trevor Story and Chris Sale aren't even on the Major League roster right now because they're both hurt and have been hurt for just about the entire season. Obviously, Trevor Story's missed the entire season, and then Chris Sale has been hurt now for a couple months. The Red Sox, without two of their main pieces, their ace, in Chris Sale, whether or not he has pitched like an ace over the last few years due to injury. But he did pitch really good, though, right before this injury did hit him a couple months ago. He was looking like the Chris Sale of old. And the Trevor Story, the big prize contract for the Red Sox that they brought in from the outside, obviously... Rafael Devers has got a big payday, but he was already on the team. So I'm talking about an outside talent that the Red Sox brought in. Trevor Story was that big contract that they brought in, an outside talent that obviously has shown a lot of promise to the plate. He's a very streaky hitter at the plate, but the Red Sox do miss him in the lineup, defensively at shortstop, and then obviously his bat as well. But now I'm going to look back at Chaim Bloom's whole time with the Red Sox, and let's start off with the 2020 season. Before the 2020 season began, the biggest move that the Red Sox made over the last 10 years was trading Mookie Betts. And that was the first move that Hyun Bloom did. That was a big impact move during his tenure as a Chief Baseball Officer for the Red Sox. He did get back Alex Redugo in return, who was a top prospect at one point for the Dodgers. Connor Wong back, a mid-tier prospect for the Dodgers, who now is an everyday catcher for the Red Sox. And then they also got back Gita Downs, who was a top prospect for the Dodgers and was a top 100 prospect on MLB.com. When you look back at the trade, the Red Sox probably could have gotten more. But the reality is that Mookie Betts probably would have walked anyways for free and free agency after a year, so at least the Red Sox got something in return. The Sox got Alex Verdugo back, a guy that's been starting for them every single game in the outfield since he was acquired in the Mookie Betts deal. The Red Sox got Connor Wong back in everyday catch for them, and the Jeter downs didn't work out. He was DFA'd before this season began. But if you look at the Red Sox all in all in that trade, they could have gotten more, but the reality is at least they got something back in return. Alex Verdugo and Connor Wong, it's a lot better than letting Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, and Nate all walked for free. At least the Red Sox got something back in return. Should they have gotten more? Yeah, probably. I don't think trading Mookie Betts was a high-and-bloom decision. I think it was a management decision... Since the Red Sox front office wanted to get under the luxury tax, the owners did not want to keep paying heavy money for their payroll. They wanted to get under the luxury tax, and trading Mookie Betts was a big way to get under that. Obviously, Mookie Betts got a big payday from the Dodgers, and the Red Sox didn't want to give him the money that he ended up receiving from LA after the trade. And the Red Sox also dumped the contract of David Price as well in the deal. The Red Sox did chew, I believe, half the money, but regardless they did get at least something back in return in Alex Rodrigo and Connor Wong. Whether or not it's probably equal value to Mookie Betts, no, it, it isn't equal value. I mean, when you trade a superstar like Mookie Betts, you never really get back the same return. You're just trying to get the best return back possible. You're never going to get back the same return. I don't think Haim Bloom wanted to trade Mookie Betts. I've stated this argument the entire time over the last few years when I've had a radio show and a podcast. I think it was a management decision to trade Mookie Betts. I don't think you ever get into a front office and say... I think the best thing we could do is trade our best player. I don't think that's ever the case, especially with Mookie Betts, who is the hot and soul of the Red Sox team and was a dynamic player ever since day one when he stepped on the field in the Boston Red Sox uniform. So when you look at the way the Sox have done things over the last few years, you can look at the good, you can look at the bad. I'm trying to look at things now from a holistic view. Did the Mookie Betts trade work out for the Red Sox? When you trade Mookie Betts, obviously you'd like to keep a talent like that on your team, but looking back at the return, you probably could have gotten more in return. So is that a loss? I'd consider a loss because of how good Mookie Betts is. But was the turn okay? Yeah, you got Alex Verdugo back and Connor Wong. Are they equal value to what Mookie Betts brings to you on a baseball diamond every day? No. No, but the reality of the situation is you probably weren't going to get equal return back from Mookie Betts. He was on an expiring deal, one year left. I know the Dodgers were very willing to pay that money, but the reality is he was on a one-year deal, and not every team is going to give you top prospects back for just one year unless they're going all-in. The Dodgers were going all-in, and then they end up winning the World Series anyway, so it worked out for them, and then they get Mookie as well on a long-term extension. So things worked out for the Dodgers. The Red Sox could have gotten more back in return, so I consider this trade a loss. Do I like Verdugo and Wong, though? Yes, Geta Downs obviously didn't work out, though. So this wasn't the best trade for High and Bloom, but at least we got something back in return for Mookie rather than letting him walk. During the 2020 season, the Red Sox traded for Nick Pavetta and gave up Brandon Workman and Heath Hembree. That was a win of a move there. Look at how good Nick Pavetta's been this season since moving to the bullpen. I know when High and Bloom traded for Nick Pavetta, In the 2020 season, he didn't really have eyes for Pavetta being a bullpen piece. He thought he could be a starter, which the Red Sox tried that for two or three seasons with Pavetta as a starter. And this season, midway through, they made the decision to send Pavetta to the bullpen. And that was the best decision the Red Sox could have ever made with Pavetta. It's done one disc for him. He has a 1.98 ERA as a reliever with a 4-2 record with 58 strikeouts and 41 innings pitched and 17 appearances out of the pen. He's been great. As well, during the 2020 season, the Red Sox got Christian Arroyo off waivers. And he's been serviceable for the Red Sox over four seasons. He's hitting 266 over his time with the Red Sox in four seasons with a 723 OPS, 18 home runs, 91 runs batted in in 218 total games. This season, he's only hit 247, but last year in 87 games, he hit 286. So he's been a decent player. I mean, he's not the best player on the team, but you can play him, you know, a few games a week, two, three, four games a week. And if he's hit 250, you he'll take that, especially last year, he hit 286. So that wasn't a bad move by Highland Bloom picking up Christian Rory off waivers, especially since it really didn't take much to get him. It's just off waivers. So it was basically free for the Sox to pick him up. In 2020, the Red Sox had a last place finish in the division finished with the fourth-worst record in the game of baseball, earning the fourth overall pick, which actually handed the Red Sox Marcella Meyer in the 2021 draft. Huge pick up there by Hyam Bloom. That was his big first-round pick that he had during his tenure. He did draft Nick York in the first round as well in the 2020 draft, but Marcella Meyer is a bigger name and could have went first overall in the draft. Nick York wouldn't have, wouldn't have been a first overall pick, but Marcella Meyer could have went first overall in the 2021 draft and no one would have questioned it. The Red Sox get him with the fourth overall pick. After the 2020 season was over, the Red Sox traded Andrew Benintendi to the Kansas City Royals. Got back Franchi Godero, who was awful. But they did get back Josh Winkowski, who's been solid this year for the Red Sox out of the bullpen. He's been serviceable out of the bullpen for the Red Sox. So that's a good return right there, getting Winkowski. Franchi was the big name in the deal. Really didn't work out there. The Red Sox loved his hot hit rate. He did hit some hotline drives, but he wasn't really a good player at all for the Sox. So that I would consider to be a loss of a trade here for the Red Sox. They trade Andrew Benintendi, who ends up being an all-star. In Kansas City last season in 2022, he hit three four with a 772 OPS, five home runs and 51 runs batted in on the season this year. He's hitting 284 with a 348 on base percentage and a 720 OPS with two home runs and 29 RBIs for the White Sox. So if you look at it, I would consider this trade a loss, even with Winkowski being a good piece there. He was kind of just a throw-in minor league piece. He's been pretty good for the Red Sox this season as a reliever. He has a 2.93 ERA in 35 appearances with a 3-1 record and 47 strikeouts at 55 to third innings pitched with a 1.33 whip overall in the season. Even though he is a good player and was a good add-in as a minor league piece in this deal, I consider the Red Sox trading Andrew Benetendi for Franchi Cordero as a loss. So that's another loss there of a trade for High and Bloom, the Mookie Betts trade and the Andrew Benetendi trade. Even though I love Alex Redugo, at the end of the day, it is a loss trading Mookie Betts and you trade that great of a player, superstar talent like Mookie Betts, you're never really going to get back an equal return, especially when you get back a prospect who's supposed to really pan out in Jeta downs. And he was the headlining prospect in that deal and didn't work out. He was already DFA'd by the Sox before the season began. So two losses in a row there for High and Bloom in trades, even with Winkowski being a solid bullpen piece and Alex Redugo and Connor Wong being pretty good too. That is still a loss there in both of those deals. Before the 2021 season, so this is still after the 2020 season, the same offseason going into the 2021 season, the Red Sox claimed John Schreiber off waivers from the Detroit Tigers. That ended up being a great move. He's been a really good reliever for the Sox when he's been on the field. And the Red Sox also signed Kike Hernandez, just trading him though a couple days ago now back to the Los Angeles Dodgers. That deal really didn't work out too much besides the 2021 ALCS run where he hit five home runs. He was one of the best hitters on the Sox during that run though. So, even though he's a below average hitter for the Red Sox during his tenure as a whole, he did have a great 2021 ALCS run. So if you look at it from that perspective, his two-year $14 million contract that he got after the 2020 season was over from the Red Sox, that ended up, I guess, slightly working out since he was a big reason the Sox made it to the ALCS with how hard he got in that playoff run. But if you look at how poor he performed this year, getting a one-year $10 million deal this past offseason and was really struggling all year at shortstop defensively and wasn't hitting well at all, I would say that Kike Hernandez' experiment at shortstop this season was a loss. So there's a few losses there that I've already talked about from High and Bloom, but some wins in there as well, like John Schreiber, like Josh Winkowski, like Alex Redugo, like Connor Wong. There's some wins that I've mentioned. Now I'm going to get into the during the 2021 season, what the Red Sox did. The Red Sox gave Matt Bynes a two-year $18 million extension during the season. If I remember right, right before the All-Star break, he got a two-year $18 million deal from the Red Sox. He was having one of the best seasons in all of the game of baseball among relievers. And then he really struggled after that. It was never the same pitcher. And he ended up being DFA'd this past offseason by the Red Sox in January. So even though he was great before that contract extension, once he got that contract extension, he was never the same pitcher. So once again, another loss here for High and Bloom. The Red Sox, during the 2021 season, did trade for Kyle Schrober from the Washington Nationals. Ended up being a great move by the Red Sox. He was a big add for the Sox, even though he didn't really play much in the regular season. He missed a lot of time with an injury. Once he got into the Red Sox lineup in September and did play some first base as well, even though that was a project, he did really help the Red Sox lineup out. It was a big reason the Red Sox ended up making it to the ALCS. So that's a win there by Chaim Bloom, getting Kyle Schrober from the Nationals. Now, Bringing me into the 2022 season. Before the 2022 season began, in December of 2021, the Red Sox traded Hunter Renfro for Jackie Bradley Jr. This was a tough move that really didn't work out, even though I do love Jackie Bradley Jr. I think he's one of the best defensive center fielders I've ever watched in the game of baseball. Hunter Renfro was coming off a very good season for the Red Sox in 2021, a season where he wasn't really making much money, was very productive, and still had a year left of control. The Red Sox traded him, though, to Milwaukee for Jackie Bradley Jr. and a few prospects. I would say this move didn't work out. Hunter Renfro was still a productive player. And even though the Red Sox got some better defense in center field with Jackie Bradley Jr., Jackie Bradley Jr. did struggle during the stint offensively, even though a big Jackie Bradley fan, I've always loved him with the Red Sox. This trade really didn't work out for the Red Sox. Another move that didn't work out for the Red Sox, the decision to let Kyle Schrober walk to the Philadelphia Phillies before the 2022 season began. The Red Sox had a chance to sign him in the offseason but ultimately let him walk and go to the Phillies. So that was a loss there, letting Kyle Strowman walk. They should have re-signed him. Even if he struggled at the plate, hitting for average, he did hit very well, though, power-wise last season, hitting 46 home runs, which was number one in the National League and second overall in the Major League. So letting him walk was a loss. Letting Eduardo Rodriguez walk to Detroit was a loss as well, considering how good Erod's been for Detroit this year. Letting him walk before the 2022 season began, that was a loss by Haim Bloom there as well. But a lot of these things that I'm mentioning here is hindsight bias, where you're looking back, already knowing what happened over the next few seasons. Since I know Kyle Schrober led the National League at home runs last year, it's very easy to say the Red Sox should have re-signed him, just like Eduardo Rodriguez. Knowing how good he's been this year for the Detroit Tigers, the Red Sox should have re-signed him two seasons ago in the offseason before letting him walk and go to Detroit. That's hindsight bias right there. Knowing the Red Sox should have signed Erod and Schrober back because of how well they performed over the last couple seasons. With the Phillies, obviously, Shoreway's been great power-wise. And then this season, Eduardo Rodriguez has been one of the best pitches in the game of baseball. So there's a lot of negatives there. And a lot of this, as I said, is hindsight bias here. But he did have some good moves, though, going into the 2022 season, like signing Trevor Story to a six-year deal, even though Trevor Story has... Been battling injuries in his two seasons with the Red Sox. He's going to be back at some point and will definitely be a boost to the Red Sox lineup. So I consider that a win of a contract, even though it really hasn't been the greatest contract since he's been struggling with injuries. I think he's going to come back to this Red Sox lineup and make every single penny worth it once he is back in this lineup, hopefully within the next few weeks. The Red Sox also got Mike Walk on a cheap deal. Very good signing there behind Bloom. It was just a one year prove it deal and ended up being a very good pitcher for the Sox. The Red Sox also signed James Paxton in the same offseason. To a two-year deal, Paxton didn't play at all in his first year, recovering from an elbow injury. And then in this season, he's been great. So that's one good move there as well for High and Bloom. Very good offseason there, moves-wise, with who he signed, signing Trevor Story, James Paxton, and Michael Walker. That was very good going into the 2022 season. So now let's look at the 2022 trade deadline, which I think was the worst part of the High and Bloom tenure. The Red Sox traded Jake Deakman. Last trade deadline for Reese McGuire, a solid offensive catcher, not a bad backup catcher to have on your roster. So that was a solid move at the deadline by Heimbloom. The Red Sox traded Christian Vasquez. Got something back in return for a guy that they probably weren't going to re-sign, even though there were some rumors that he wanted to come back. You trade him and you got something back in return. That's at least a win knowing he wasn't going to come back and he was just a rental for the Houston Astros. Next up, the Red Sox trade of Eric Hosmer, a guy that they gave up Jay Groom for. Jay Groom is a former first-round pick by the Sox. Never really panned out. Kind of a non-successful trade for either side here with Eric Hosmer being defaded by the Sox. And then obviously Jay Groom not really panning out at all in the minor leagues. So that was kind of a non-successful trade for either side there. But the biggest issue with last year's trade deadline for the Red Sox in 2022 was that High and Bloom decide to hold on to Xander Bogotts, Nate Valdi and J.D. Martinez at the trade deadline to try to make somewhat of a run at making the postseason, and then in the offseason, let all three players walk for free. That's the worst part of the High and Bloom tenure, in my opinion, was letting Xander Bogotts, Nate Evaldi, and J.D. Martinez stay on the roster at last year's trade deadline and then getting nothing back in return with all three of those guys walking in free agency. Yeah, you do get some compensation picks, but at the end of the day, if you knew you weren't going to re-sign those three players, trade them at the deadline and get something back in return because our team that was contending for a title definitely would have been interested in J.D. Martinez, Zanda Boguts, and Adivaldi. So Bloom definitely should have traded those three pieces there and got something back in return. That's inexcusable because if you knew the Red Sox weren't going to re-sign at least one of those three guys, you trade that one of three. If you think, okay, there's still a good chance we re-sign Xander Bogots and Nate Aldi, then you keep those two maybe if you think you're going to re-sign them because if you trade them, you're not going to get them back in free agency. But if you think you're going to be able to keep Xander Bogotts and Nate Aldi, okay, keep those two, try to re-sign them in the off season and then trade J.D. Martinez. There's no reason the Red Sox kept all three players. There's no reason. So now I'm going to get into the best part of the high and bloom tenure with the Boston Red Sox, and that was this past offseason. One move he made this past offseason was giving Raphael Davis a $331 million contract extension. Devis only had one more year left on his current deal. This would have been the last season of his deal if the Red Sox didn't give him this contract extension. And now he's locked up long-term. The Red Sox had to find a way to lock up their homegrown talent on long-term contracts. They let Mookie Betts go. They let Zeta Bogarts go. They finally found a way to keep Raphael Davis here long-term. And in the same offseason, this past offseason, he signed... Justin Turner, Chris Martin, Kenley Jansen, Masataki Ishida, and Adam Duvall. Also did sign Corey Kluber as well, but he hasn't been really good at all. He's on the IL right now. He hasn't been really good at all for the Sox during his short tenure here. But the rest of those pieces have been contributors to this Red Sox team that is currently fighting right now for the last wild spot in the American League. And partly is because of all the moves High and Blue has made this offseason. Justin Turner has been great. He's turned back time. He's at .289 on the year with a .481 slugging percentage and .841 OPS, 16 home runs and 66 RBIs in 98 games played. Another player, Masataki Yoshida, who a lot of executives considered a heavy overpay by the Red Sox, is currently second in the American League right now batting average, hitting .316 on the year. And I can name some other stats here for Masataki Yoshida. He's hitting .316 with 12 home runs, 53 RBIs, Eight stolen bases and 22 doubles on the season in 89 games played with an 878 OPS and a 500 slugging percentage. He's been great. That's quite an off-season acquisition there by Haim Bloom. Another off-season acquisition, Chris Martin, a big anchor to the bullpen. A 1.44 ERA in 34 appearances with 29 strikeouts and 31 and in third innings pitched with just four walks. Just four walks. His strikeout to walk ratio is 7.25. He's been unreal for the Red Sox this year. 3-1 record with a 1.44 ERA and a .989 whip on the season. Kenley Jansen has been great as a Red Sox close. 22 saves in 36 games played with a 2.97 ERA, a 2-4 record with 39 strikeouts and 33 and a third innings pitched. Jansen has a 1.35 whip in his 36 appearances. So that's another good offseason acquisition by Haim Bloom. An offseason acquisition that he got a year and a half ago, was James Paxton, who didn't play at all last season, comes in this year and has been very good for the Red Sox. 6-2 record with a 3.46 ERA in 12 games. Started with 75 strikeouts and 65 innings pitched with a one whip on the season. 75 Ks in 65 innings. He's been great for the Red Sox this year. So that's another good piece that Chaim Bloom has brought in this past offseason. And what's another move he made? Getting Adam Duvall. Even though Adam Duvall started off the year as one of the best hitters in baseball in the first week of the season... The wrist injury that he suffered midway through the first week and a half of the season was tough. Comes back and has been struggling since getting back from the I.L. But on the season, eight home runs with 28 RBIs and a 259 batting average and an 852 OPS. in 41 games played. You'll take that. So that's not a bad add there. They also signed Rob Snyder to an extension, which wasn't a bad deal as well. snyder has been great on the air, hitting 270. With a 733 OPS on the air. 269 batting average with a 733 OPS with one home run, 25 runs batted in, and seven stolen bases. He's been great against left handed hitting on the air. So that's another piece that High and Bloom extended this offseason, but not a guy he brought in. But of the guys he brought in, a lot of them have been impact players. And I just named them all, but I'm going to name them again just because I want to make the point that High and Bloom has brought in a lot of good players to this team over this past year. A big reason why the Red Sox are doing what they're doing right now is because of Kenley Jansen, James Paxton, Justin Turner, Masataki Ishida, Chris Martin. That's because of those guys that High and Bloom brought in over the last year. And even though everything that High and Bloom's done hasn't been great, there has been a lot of positives as well. So of those guys I named right there of the offseason acquisitions, every one of them has really contributed and been a positive note except Corey Kluber really. The only offseason acquisition he really brought in this year that wasn't really good at all. Still on the I.O. right now, so we'll see if he gets another chance. But at the end of the day, he's probably not going to be an impactful player for the Red Sox for the rest of the season. But in the same offseason I'm talking about right now, there were some negatives as well. And that's Zanda Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Nate Ivaldi, and Michael Walker all walking for free. Nate aldi has been one of the best pitches in the game of baseball this season. That was a loss for the Red Sox to let him walk. He's been consistently one of the best pitches in the game of baseball this season. The Red Sox should have definitely brought him back, even though he did suffer a little bit of an injury towards the end of last season. He is 11-3 on the season with a 2.69 ERA, 19 starts. With 111 strikeouts and 123 and two-thirds innings pitched with a 1.01 whip, he's been great this season for the Texas Rangers. So that's one loss there. Letting Michael Walker walk was another loss. He's been great this season as well. Pitching very well for the Padres. An 8-2 and two record with a 2.84 ERA and 15 starts with 73 strikeouts and 85 and two-thirds innings pitched with a 1.074 whip. He is on the I.O. right now, but during the time that he's been on the field for the Padres, He's been great as a starter. So once again, another loss here for and Bloom, letting Michael Walker walk in free agency. Then letting Xander Bogarts walk in free agency. I know he did get a huge payday, 11 years, $280 million. And he signed through the 2033 season, and the Red Sox weren't going to give him that money. There is a hole at the shortstop position, though, right now for the Red Sox. That's why they had to have Kike Hernandez start the season and play most of the season at shortstop because Trevor Story was hurt and the Red Sox don't have Zinda Bogots anymore. Zinda Bogotts hasn't had that great of a season, hitting 265 with a 750 OPS and 11 home runs with 36 RBIs with 366 at-bats. He's been playing the entire season, only has 11 home runs with a 265 batting average. Last season, he only had 15 home runs, so he's going to hit more than that this season, but his power is definitely a little bit down. He had 33 home runs in 2019. He's not going to ever get back to that probably ever, I'd imagine. So I don't really see it as the worst thing, that the Red Sox let Xander Bogots walk. The Red Sox weren't going to give him 11 years, $280 million. I think it was smart not to give him that money. And I think at the end of the day with hopefully Marcel Maya being up in the next year or so, that will probably be your long-term shortstop. At least I would hope. So it makes sense letting Xander Bogots no longer be a Boston Red Sox. But you should have traded him at the trade deadline. That would have been the smartest thing to do if you were the Red Sox. Trade him at the deadline if you know you weren't going to pay him heavy money. And the Red Sox were far off in contract negotiations with Zanda Bogut. So they must have known at some point they weren't going to bring him back. They should have traded him last season. So that was a blunder there by Haim Bloom. Lating J.D. Martinez walk was another Bloom. J.D. Martinez has been one of the best sluggers in the game of baseball again. He's back to his old ways. Even though last year he struggled in the second half of the season, he's back to being one of the best mashes in the game of baseball this season with 25 home runs on the season, hitting 260 with 74 runs batted in on the season. 25 home runs, a 260 batting average, and 74 runs batted in. He's been great this season for the Dodgers. That's a blunder letting him walk as well in free agency. No one probably saw, though, J.D. Martinez being this good, though, again. So I don't really blame Haim Bloom here for letting J.D. Martinez walk, even though it is a blunder to some degree in hindsight bias when you look at him hitting an 877 for an OPS with a 567 slugging percentage. You're going to say that's obviously a loss there for Higham Bloom, but I don't think anybody saw J.D. Martinez doing what he's doing this season for the Dodgers. So I don't really blame Higham Bloom for that. But you should have gotten something back in return for those four pieces, at least the big three of Evaldi, Martinez, and Boguts. You should have got something back in return. Also, in the same offseason, the Red Sox did DFA. Matt Bonds designating him for assignment in January of this year, letting him go. So that two year, $18 million extension he got in the 2021 season was obviously a mistake there by Heian Bloom. But during the 2023 season, Heian Bloom trusted Jaron Duran enough to call him up after a few weeks. And obviously things have worked out there. Jaron Duran has looked great for the Red Sox this season. So that's been a positive note there for High Bloom. Trusting in Jaron Duran enough to call him up. Never moving him. Never really getting his confidence down. Keeping him on the Major League roster throughout this entire season. And Jaron Duran, even though he did start in AAA for a couple weeks during the season, this year he's hit 311 for the Sox with six home runs, 21 stolen bases. He's only been caught stealing just one time. His speed is definitely a big add to this Red Sox lineup. He's 29 doubles on the season in 81 games. 29 doubles in half the season. 81 games played, 29 doubles, 6 home runs, 35 runs batted in, 21 stolen bases in 22 attempts, with a 311 batting average, a 363 on base percentage, a 502 slugging percentage, and an 865 OPS. Trusting in Jaron Duran was another major win for and Bloom. As well as trusting in Tristan Casas. Even though Alex Corey did want to get Justin Turner more time at first base, Haim Bloom wanted Tristan Casas to develop. Wanted him to go through the growing pains to get him to where he is at right now. And as I mentioned in this episode, Tristan Casas has been one of the best offensive players in the game of baseball over the last couple months. He has been. The stats show it. So now it brings me to the question of what are the Red Sox going to do with the 2023 trade deadline? The way I see it is the Red Sox should go all in. And I'm not saying trade Marcelo Meyer and Nick York and Brian Bayo and Tanner Houck and some big young pieces on this team. But they're one and a half games back of the Toronto Blue Jays right now in the wildcard race in the AL, go and buy and make a run. I think the Red Sox will get a wildcard spot. I think they're very capable of beating the Twins in the postseason. Right now, it's going to be between the Twins and the Guardians if the Red Sox end as the sixth spot in the American League. That would be the last wildcard spot and they'd play the worst of the divisional winners in the American League. They'd play either the Twins or the Guardians. I think the Red Sox beat either of those teams. And then who knows what happens in the second round. This Red Sox team is very capable of making a run. Trevor Story, Tana Houck, Garrett Whitlock, and Chris Seal are all coming back. Let's make something happen and buy at the trade deadline. Last season, the Red Sox should have sold, and they were one foot in, one foot out. This season, buy at the trade deadline and see what happens. That's what I want High and Bloom to do. Even though not everything's been great during his tenure with the Red Sox, I don't think anybody's going to look at his entire tenure... From a plus standpoint and a minus standpoint like I just did. I gave you all the pluses. I gave you all the minuses. And at the end of the day, I'm going to give you my thoughts on his future of the Red Sox. I think his job at the end of the season, whether or not the Red Sox make a deep run in the playoffs or not, just being in the playoff race in September, I think Hyun Bloom keeps his job for another season. Whether or not that's what Boston sports fans want to hear, that's probably not the case. Everyone wants to win as a Boston sports fan. We're all just so used to winning. If you're a Patriots fan growing up, you're used to winning with Tom Brady. If you're a Red Sox fan growing up, you're used to the Red Sox spending big money and having big names on the team like David Ortiz, like Josh Beckett, like Jacoby Ellsbury, like J.D. Martinez, like Mookie Betts, like Xander Boguts. You're used to having big names on your roster. If you're a Bruins fan, you're used to the Bruins always competing. If you're a Celtics fan, even though they did have a rough patch at one point while they were rebuilding, things have been up for the Celtics over the last five or six years and they've been to NBA Finals over the last couple seasons. Boston sports fans are so used to winning that they're just making the playoffs isn't enough for them. But with this current roster, if the Red Sox make the playoffs, that is a win in my eyes. Maybe Hyan Bloom goes into the off, this offseason and is a little bit more aggressive than he's been in the years past. Maybe he goes and signs a big free agent. We'll see what happens, but I think the Red Sox should buy at this trade deadline, and I think Hyam Bloom's tenure with the Red Sox has been better than more of his critics would like to give him credit for. But with all that being said, it's important to note that not everything's been positive in the Bloom era. The reality of the situation is this. As a general manager, not every trade that you make or free agency signing or waiver wire pickup is going to be a win. You're not going to win every single dim. No GM goes 100 for 100 and draft picks, free agent signings, who to trade, what to trade, what to pay a player for, what to not pay a player for. No one's going to win every single one of those. No GM is going to be perfect to get everything right. So there were things high and blue missed on like Franchi Cordero, like trading Mookie Betts. Even though Mookie Betts, you did get Alex Verdugo and Connor Wongback, back. You did trade the second best talent at the time in Mookie Betts in the game of baseball. It was Mike Trout and Mookie Betts as the two best players in the game of baseball at the time, and you traded him away and didn't give him a long-term extension. I blame the management, though, for that. I don't think they want to pay Mookie Betts the money that he got from the Dodgers. So if you look at it, High and Bloom came in, and the Red Sox had a goal to get under the luxury tax and build a team that's not spending as much money as they did in years past. And what has High and Bloom done? Kept them under the luxury tax, has lowered the payroll, has not really given out too many big contracts. Obviously, the Rafael Devis contract is an anomaly during High and Bloom's tenure with the Red Sox. But I think if you look at High and Bloom's tenure with the Sox, there were a lot of positives. Just like there's a lot of negatives as well. He didn't hit on everything. Jeta Downs was a miss. Fridge Codero was a miss. Corey Kluber was a miss. Kika Hernandez at shortstop was a miss. But there were some positives as well. Josh Winkowski was just an add-in as a minor league player in that deal for Andrew Benatendi. He ends up being a good major league piece out of the bullpen. Nick Pavetta, who the Red Sox traded for to be a starter, ends up being one of the better relievers right now in the game of baseball since he took over in the bullpen for the Red Sox. He's been fantastic out of the bullpen. I don't think anybody saw that coming. And then this offseason, Justin Turner, Masataki Ishida, Kenley Jansen, Chris Martin. Bloom has done more good things than his critics want to give him credit for. And at the same time, it goes the opposite way as well. He hasn't done as many good things as some of his biggest fans would like to think. But I do think right now, where I stand with High and Bloom, I'm more in support of High and Bloom than most Boston Red Sox fans are right now. I think he's earned himself another year as a Red Sox chief baseball officer, and I do like this Red Sox team, where they're going. Wait for Trevor Story, Garrett Whitlock, Tana Hogan, Chris Sale to come back. Buy at the trade deadline, get a couple extra pieces, and see where this team can go. I'm fully in support of High and Bloom as of right now. Even though I was critical of him in years past, I was kind of always in the middle of supporting and not supporting High Bloom. I was kind of always in the middle saying you should have done this, maybe he should have done that, but I give him credit for some moves as well. Where I stand right now, I am in support of High and Bloom. So I'll see what the Red Sox do with the trade deadline, and I'll keep you guys updated with that. I'm sorry for the 30 minute rant here on High and Bloom and the Red Sox, but I want to give you a deep dive and actually look at all of his big moves as a chief baseball officer for the Red Sox. So if you came into this podcast today and were a big fan of High and Bloom, maybe you rethink your thoughts of him. If you were a negative fan of High and Bloom and you never really liked him and you were always against him and you were always very critical, hopefully this podcast gives you a different perspective on High and Bloom. There were obviously a lot of makes. There were obviously a lot of misses. And that's part of being a general manager. You're not going to make every single move be a win. You're not. You're not going to make every signing, every trade, and every waiver wire pickup be a win. That's just the reality of being a GM. You have to take shots sometimes. You have to go all in sometimes. And you have to take a step back and build to the future sometimes as well. That's just the reality of sports and being in a front office. So my plan at the beginning of this episode was to talk about the Red Sox and then dive into talking about the Angels and then the Dodgers as well and a couple of trades that have already gone down in the major leagues. But I don't think I'm going to do that in this episode. I think I'm going to start a new episode and just keep this as a Red Sox episode and just start a new one in just a minute. So I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it and hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.